0: Good. appreciate Howard and uh, that whole uh, east-west uh, shepherding thing. We can, we can do a whole message on that topic. Uh, maybe we will someday, if you're lucky, if you guys deserve it. Uh, Team Mexico, survived this week. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, had an awesome time. So lots of stuccoing, lots of roofing, all this good stuff. So had a great time. So thank you for that. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Raise your hand. We get it. So for Father's Day, we get to talk about death. How's that sound? That sounds like a good, good topic, doesn't it? Right? We don't uh, we don't interrupt our uh, our time through the through the text today. We're in Acts chapter seven. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there, if you would. It's good to be together. Uh, I think God has uh, some powerful things to say to us this morning. So I'm super excited about this this section of scripture. And uh, while I am not joking about death. Uh, death for the believer, death for the Christian, death for the follower of Christ is not something to be feared, but it is something to be cherished. And I'm going to kind of pitch this idea this morning because some of us probably hearing that statement would have a hard time wrapping our minds around how could the death of the, of a saint be beautiful? How could it be something we long for? How could it be something we cherish? Um, we have this group of, um, so in, in Christianity, it's amazing how we have, um, we have these categories of, of heroes that we would maybe seek to strive to be like. Um, maybe some of you early on read a, a book by an author and said, I want to be a great. Christian author one day like this person, or maybe it's heard a, a pastor or preacher and said, oh boy, I want to be a great Christian pastor or preacher like this person. and Or some of you maybe heard a, an evangelist or a, or a singer. I want to be a great Christian singer. So we have category, categories in the church, uh, but there's one category that I have failed to hear about in the church of, of someone seeking to be like or long for, and that is, boy, I want to be a Christian martyr. I want to be someone who dies for my faith. That's usually not a category I hear. uh, And to to be honest, I haven't heard at all. And yet, we come from a rich tradition in our Christian faith of men and women who have given their lives for Jesus. We would call them martyrs. Uh, They are witnesses. That's really what the term martyr means. They are a witness even unto death. And early on, hundreds of years ago, Christian households, would read a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs to their kids uh, at bedtime, and they would send their kids to bed hearing stories of men and women dying for their faith. How's that sound? Like sweet dreams, here's someone burned at the stake. Sweet dreams, here's someone eaten by lions. And yet, what those Christian parents understood in trying to teach their children about the faith is that there's nothing worth living for in this world but for Jesus. And ultimately, there's nothing worth giving your life for, but for Jesus. And so these kids would go to bed with these dreams and aspirations if only I could live so faithfully for the Lord as to give my life for him. That would be the goal of all goals. Imagine that. Who are our heroes today? Let me just tell you, most of them are lame. Most of them are TikTok stars or, or, or Instagram stars or movie stars or singers. And most of the heroes we have today that we even allow our kids to say, boy, I love this person so much, they're not Jesus. They're not Jesus. And, and my hope, my prayer this morning is that you would see that Jesus is the greatest hero of all time and to follow him and to ultimately Possibly give your life for him is the greatest pursuit you and I could ever ever endure is to be men and women of such a deep faith that we say, I would consider it worthy to give my life for him to live as Christ, yeah, but to die is gain. How do we even get to a headspace to think that way? How do we even get to a heart space where we where we feel this way? I remember as a young believer, so God saved me when I was fifteen. Changed me from being an aspiring rock star to, a, to, to someone serving Jesus. And I read the, the account of Polycarp. Matter of fact, I posted on our Facebook page an article you can read later. But let me give you a summary of Polycarp. He was a disciple of, of John. And he was the first non-apostle to give his life for the Lord. Twelve of the disciples, of twelve of the disciples, eleven of them died martyrs one died of old age his name was john he had a disciple named polycarp polycarp was arrested by the romans 86 years old arrested and said hey polycarp renounce jesus and we'll let you live now i'm going to tell you right now 86 years with jesus like here's this dude who's like come on guys really he says 86 years I have served the Lord, and he has never done me wrong. If you think I'm going to renounce Jesus, you've got, you're mistaken. And they said, renounce Christ. We're only going to ask you one more time, Polycarp. Renounce Christ. And he says, what? And, 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 and be downgraded when it comes to what? What do you want me to bow to the emperor as if the emperor is better than Jesus? If you guys have only tasted Jesus and know how sweet and wonderful he is, you would never bow to anybody else but him. And they said, fine, you've sealed your death. And they lead him to a pyre where they're going to light him on fire. And they're getting ready to bind his hands. He says, you don't need to bind my hands. I'm willingly going to die for my Lord. You don't need to bind me. I'm not going anywhere. And they light the fire, and the fire does not burn Polycarp. It does not burn him. As a matter of fact, these guys are scratching their heads going, why isn't the fire touching him? Meanwhile, Polycarp is praying. For his accusers, his attackers, his his enemies, and finally they realize that the fire is not going to burn him, and so they commission a group of men to stab him to death. And as, in proceeding stabbing him to death, the blood puts out whatever fire is remaining, and he bleeds to death there. For Jesus, a hero. When I read that as a as a young believer, I was I was moved to tears. And I thought to myself, if only to live a life of serving Jesus and and following him so that one day maybe I would be considered worthy to die for him. Ladies and gentlemen, every story of martyrdom, and let me just tell you, there are hundreds. Every story of martyrdom that I've ever read always depicts a loving calmness a a a a rare transcendence a supernatural peace a divine strength that is unexplainable that men and women who love jesus go out with such calm in being faithful to their lord that there's nothing their attackers or accusers could ever do to take away that joy of dying for christ See these men and women, starting with the, the, the disciples, to, to even modern day men and women giving their faith for, for Jesus, they show us how to die. And by showing us how to die, it's modeled in how they live. And there's some sort of secret of staying power of the Christian witness in their lives, even unto death. We don't set out to be martyrs, we set out to be Jesus to like, be like Jesus. But even Jesus said, if you're gonna you're gonna follow me, you're gonna be persecuted. If you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer. This is what Christianity is. How does the believer in Christ look different than someone who suffers in the world? We have a hope that doesn't disappoint. We don't mourn as those who have no hope. We have our minds on something else. And so we come to to this Acts chapter 7 text and we meet a man named Stephen, actually, we don't meet him. We've been meeting him for the past few weeks. And as I already ruined, spoiler alert, he he dies. Some of you have had weeks to read ahead. And if you haven't, guess what? Today's the day where we get to interact with a very horrific scene. But in this horrific scene, God teaches us several beautiful lessons about death. So if you turn your Bibles, Acts chapter 7, and we will... Venture a little bit into Acts chapter 8. Is that allowed? Sure, we can do that. But let's read the text and I want to go back and I want to talk about five important points for us this morning. I want you to live well, but I want you to die well. I want you to live with an eternal perspective so that when death comes, it doesn't rob you of hope. It doesn't rob you of joy. It doesn't rob you of of love. That when, when death does come knocking, You understand what Paul says? Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? That Christ has taken the sting from death, amen? He is risen. You better believe it. And as sure as his resurrection is true, your resurrection is guaranteed. How can we, like Stephen, die well? Because Christ-like living, I believe, leads to Christ-like dying. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. So when they heard this, remember he was preaching to them and getting under their skin. He was preaching the truth, or in the words of my kids, facts. They heard this, they were cut to the quick, meaning their hearts were sawn in two. This is what the word of God does, Hebrews chapter 4. It is a, it is a divine scalpel that hits the most deepest, darkest recesses of our lives that we think we can keep hidden from everybody else, but God knows. And when God's truth penetrates those dark areas, there is no neutrality. You either accept or reject. These men are cut to the quick, and they begin gnashing their teeth at him. Now, you are in a difficult spot as a preacher when your, your audience begins to frown. You're in a much more difficult spot when your crowd begins to gnash their teeth. Praise God, I don't see any gnashing of teeth yet. It might happen. They began gnashing their teeth, meaning there's this audible noise coming from people grinding their teeth because they're so angry. And being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. And Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women that he would put into prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning amen five things i want us to talk about when it comes to death and how death while for many can be a horrific thought god says i want this to be something glorious five points this morning first is this death and the fullness of the spirit so you see peter uh, uh Stephen, verse 54 55 so now when they heard this they were cut to the quick and began gnashing their teeth at him and being full of the spirit i love this phrase Full of the Spirit, because being full of the Spirit means God has given you a, a heavenly courage, so much so that that courage can stand in light of any earthly conflict. See, being full of the Spirit was not some momentary experience for Stephen, this was typical of his everyday living. Every instance you read of Stephen, right, whether he's appointed to serve the widows early on in chapter 6 or whether he's preaching in the synagogues, it says Stephen was full of the Spirit. Let me just tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, you as believers in Christ can be full of the Spirit all of the time. But it requires you to do something. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us in Christ has been baptized with the Spirit. None of us has been left out with any part of the Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have all the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Can I get an amen? Here's the problem. Most of us don't experience the fullness of the Spirit. Because fullness of the Spirit requires obedience. Fullness of the Spirit means I'm going to honor God in my life. I'm going to honor God in my marriage, my children, in my work, with finances, the way I drive, with the way I root for sports teams, the way I vote, whatever it is, every part of your life is saturated by the Spirit. No part of your life is left out. To be full of the Spirit says I am fully yielded, fully surrendered for God to take over my life. You do not compartmentalize the work of God in your life. God is not just some, hey, guess what? We'll meet on Sunday for an hour and a half. Now you go ahead and spend the rest of the week the way you want. No. Being full of the Spirit means every part of your existence is saturated by the presence of God and your desire to say, I'm going to honor him. I'm going to honor him. There's no bifurcating your secular and spiritual life. All is spiritual. Spiritual. There's no, there's no part of your life that is left untouched by God's hand as he works in and through you. Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit, and there's two ways that we see he's full of the Holy Spirit in this, in this passage, what we've read and what we're reading today. Two things, evidences of being full of the Spirit is that you proclaim eternal truth. He just got done preaching 2,000 years of Jewish history in 53 verses. Here's one way you can tell someone is full of the the Spirit. They are speaking God's Word. You cannot be full of the Spirit without the Word of God. The Spirit of God works with the Word of God, and those two things make you full of God. Every part of your life is saturated. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are sharing eternal truth, when it's coming out of you and it's not forced, It's, it's almost like it's just a part of you. When you spend time with God and you abide with him through Jesus, John 15, you know what, it just, it just is evidence in your life. You know people, I know people, who you can just tell, like, that person spends time with Jesus. Are you that type of person? You call yourself a believer, but when people spend time with you, do they feel like they've just spent time with you, or do they feel like they spent time with Christ? See, Stephen dripped oozed Christ. That'd be a cool shirt, wouldn't it? Drip Christ. Yo! Oozing Jesus. When you're full of the Spirit, it can't help but overflow out of you. He's proclaiming eternal truth. See, he realizes his sermon is a death warrant. He says, if I share God's truth with this group in humility... They're not going to respond in kind. It's humility in light of hostility. And yet he shares. Why? Because he reminds them of the privilege of having God's word while rebuking them for failing to respond to it appropriately. That's what the entire chapter 7 is all about. How God throughout the ages has pursued people, pursued people, pursued people, and we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. This is truth. This is fact. This is Stephen going, you guys need to know. This is not about you agreeing with me. This is about you falling in love with God. Instead of responding with a message of repentance, they respond with rage. And truth does this Jesus is always the dividing line, not politics, not sports, not skin color not geographic location not economic status jesus is the dividing line amen we have made god's truth somewhat synonymous with our truth and let me just tell you no one cares about your truth what they need to hear is god's truth and we need to keep that separate some of you are willing to die for your truth but you're not even willing to tie about god's truth god doesn't care at the end of the day he's going to say what have you done for me lately Have you proclaimed Jesus lately in your circles? No one cares about your stance on any given situation. What people need to hear is what does Jesus think about them? Jesus is always the dividing line. This is what truth does. You must either accept it or fight against it, and these men choose to fight against it. But in light of proclaiming truth in, 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 in the midst of people that aren't listening, and let me just say, as a pastor, sometimes I feel like that. Not on Sundays, but other days. There's something that keeps us going. Second point, when you're full of the Spirit, you have a perception of eternal life. You know what kept Stephen going? What he was about ready to enter into. It's called eternity. The most, the biggest impact people have in this world are the ones who think most highly of the next. If you don't think highly of the next world, you're not going to think too highly of this world. Meaning, what we do here ultimately is going to lead to eternity and Stephen is concerned about these these men he's not concerned about you know what synagogue they belong to or you know what bible translation they read they, he's concerned that these men love the lord their god with all their hearts soul minds and strength but yet what keeps him going what keeps you full of the spirit is the sense that there's eternal life waiting for us see Notice what's going on. They are seething with rage while he is seeing something glorious ahead of him. Notice he even announces it. Guys, look what I'm seeing. Look at, it says in verse 56. He says, behold, I see the heavens open up. Like he's telling these guys, they can't see this. Only he can say, when you're full of the spirit, you can see things with spiritual eyes with those who don't have the spirit can't see with natural eyes. And this makes a difference. When you feed your soul upon the word of God, he does something within you to give you a perception of eternal life. Being filled with the spirit is to be preoccupied with heavenly things. Can I just tell you right now? So to be filled with the spirit, I've already mentioned, is to be obedient. To be filled with the spirit is to have the word of God saturate. But it all—it it is also to be full of the spirit is to be preoccupied with heavenly things. Write down Colossians chapter 3 sometime. Wonderful chapter. Starts like this. Set your affections on the things above and not on the things of the earth. Paul says to the Colossian audience, keep your minds fixed on that which is eternal, that which is future, because it's going to give you a current hope in the midst of sometimes despair and discouragement. This is what being full of the Spirit is is all about. And I'm going to tell you, could it be that God became more real to Stephen than anything that might have caused him pain at this given moment? Yes. Because this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit tells you, though you are experiencing a momentary light affliction, nothing's compared to the eternal weight of glory. Come on now, are you kidding me? How many of us are so temporal focused? How many of us are so under-the-sun focused? That's what the guys on Friday morning are talking about, Ecclesiastes, right? All is meaningless under the sun. Yeah, well, here's the problem. You were designed to gaze upon something above the sun. Not the things that are earthly, but the things that are eternal. And so to be full of the Spirit, It's to to have this this heart that says, I want to know God's truth because the truth shall set me free. I want to know God's truth because he who is the truth, the life, the way, has come to not make me miserable, but he's come to make me joyful. And that when I perceive who God is and how he works and what he's done for me, I can't help but think of my life beyond this earthly realm. And so he sees eternal life. And yet these men can't see it. They're gnashing their teeth. This is, this is prophetic, right? Psalm 37, look what Psalm 37 says. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. They don't want righteousness. They want to protect their religiosity. And so they're ticked. Anytime you try to take away someone's idol, they don't sit, about, sit back silently. So this becomes a situation out of control. I'm going to tell you right now, if you reject the word of God, in a sense, you're gnashing your teeth. Anyone who does not follow the the way and the word and the will of God, you, in a way, are, are gnashing your teeth. Here's what will become of you. Do you realize hell is a place where people weep and gnash their teeth forever? There is no remorse in hell. There is only rage and anger. This is why God says, today's the day of salvation. Quit fighting against me. Surrender and believe. All they had in their minds was death and all Stephen has in his mind is life. The mind that's set on the flesh is nothing but death. But the mind that's set on the spirit is life. Romans chapter 8. Bless you. It's fun when you have a collective, God bless you when someone sneezes in the church. Not only is this man full of the Spirit, but he sees something. And again, I think this is a gift of the Spirit. Point number two, death and the glory of the Father. Notice what it says in verse 55. He, being full of the Spirit, gaze intently into heaven and sees the glory of God. Can I tell you right now, this was every... Jewish person's desire that they would dwell in the temple of the Most High and see his glory. The Old Testament talked about it as Shekinah glory. Moses wanted to see the glory of God and God said, if you see my glory, it's gonna, it's gonna blow you to bits. Jesus, when he was transfigured in Matthew, right, on the mount, and, and Peter and James and John saw him and he, he exposed his, his glory, they immediately fell down and worshiped and wanted to build a little tabernacle for him there on the mountains. See, the glory of God is able to turn any hour of torment, any hour of trial, any hour of death into a marvelous revelation of what is yet to come. He sees the glory of God and it's not that these, it's not that the, these men can't see what he's seen. He's like, guys, can't you see the glory of God? This is what spiritual blindness does. It blinds you to the the glory of God and it only limits you to the glory of you. And let me just tell you how glorious you are. You're not glorious. Your work is not glorious. Your life is not glorious. Your your whatever you think you're doing is important is not glorious if it's not done with Christ at the center. Can I get an amen from somebody? I'm not, we're not into participation awards. Hey, because you participated in church so so much of your life, you're in. No, no, no. If you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and Jesus is your only obsession, you're in. We get consumed with self-glory. God is consumed with glorifying himself. The earth is filled with the glory of God. And Stephen sees this. He is given spiritual sight. God grants Stephen this, this peering into heaven and sees the glory of God, and he sees a vision of greatness. He sees a vision of majesty, and, and he's so, so excited, right? Because this is what he just preached. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. He's dwelling in the heavenly places, and I get to see him. And when you see the glory of God and when you live for the glory of God, it keeps you going. It keeps you motivated, Right? Such joy that, that any present suffering is not even com- worthy to be compared with what you're witnessing. And so Luke writes this. And he's saying in verse 55, I want you to know something. Stephen is seeing the glory of God, which means he is about ready to die. And believers in Christ never die alone. You need to know this. Like Sometimes we, we, we are haunted by the potential of, of the day we're going to die. We are haunted by this specter that seems to hang over us and, and people are worried, they're concerned about what lies on the other side. And, and for the believer, you need to understand that the believer never dies alone. There's always something that God gives the believer and I don't know what it looks like for you and what, but, but God is gonna be with you in that moment because as he sure as he's, he's present with you in this living. He's gonna be present with you in your dying and he's ultimately gonna be present with you in your resurrection. And we witnessed this with, with Lori's mom when she passed away. When we were with Karen Murray, I love I love Mama Murray, that's what we used to call her. When she died of colorectal cancer, she had a long journey with this, but in the hospice at the very end there, we, we called Lori's brother who was living in Chicago. He flew out and we were able to be there. Tom, Lori's dad, me, Lori, Scott, my brother-in-law, her, bro, and then Karen. And we were there during her last moments and it was amazing because Karen loved Jesus. And what was cool about in this moment of, of death, we realized that she's probably got minutes. We were ready to offer her some water and she didn't want water and she kept uttering these words, I, I'm tasting the water I see the water, the water is good, I'm going for more water. And she was communicating something that I believe God was present there in her suffering, where she was able to drink not of earthly water, but of the heavenly water that is promised her through Jesus. And she died peacefully. She died no longer thirsty. She died being totally satisfied with the God she said, I'm going to devote my life to serving. And when she exited from this world into the next we all had a sense of God was with her. She was not alone. Do you, do you have this? Do you have this in your own life, that, that the glory of God has been revealed to us in not only the Word, but in His Son And that what God has in store for you for your future is better than anything you could ever imagine. And you need to have the confidence at the end of the day that what Paul says in Philippians, that to live is Christ but to die is gain, that God is going to be there for every believer as they enter heaven. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You ready for this? I pray so. I pray so. Because here's what it's all about, point number three. Death and the approval of the Son. Notice what's going on here. And and while while we're reading, can I get a tissue or clean? You would think I'd learn my lesson by now. now. I've been preaching for 30 years. And uh, yeah. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Front row. Front row. Everyone's got the spiritual gift of giving out Kleenexes. I love it. Thank you. So, so Stephen, notice this. This right here. I'm going to tell you how important this is. Stephen has been confessing christ before people and now god says i'm now going to confess you before the angels of heaven this is what jesus promises luke chapter 12 read it if you would he says to to his disciples you got luke 12 verse 8 if not it's all it's all good i got i tell you everyone who acknowledges me before men the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of heaven are you kidding me? What sort of reward is that? When you live for me, Jesus is saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna celebrate this." Look at, it, look what happens in verse, verse uh, fifty-five. So he sees the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears, and they rushed upon him with one impulse. They did not want to hear any more of what he is preaching. But Stephen is almost oblivious to what's about to happen to him physically. Spiritually, he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And when they had driven him out of the city and began stoning him, the witnesses laid aside the robes at the feet of Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen Called as he called upon the Lord, Lord, receive my spirit. So, he tells his accusers, his attackers what he's seen that makes them angrier and he says I see the son of man. Now, circle that phrase in your Bible because son of man refers to the incarnation of Jesus and that he continues to bear the marks of Calvary in heaven. And he sees what Jesus has gone through for him and he also sees Jesus is not sitting but standing and so there's something wonderfully authoritative with this. See, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sat. And by sitting, you know, this is, this is drawing upon Daniel 7, uh, Psalm 110, this idea that he is the ruler, he is the conqueror, and he's making all his enemies as a footstool under his feet. And what, what Stephen sees is now Jesus is not sitting, but he's standing. And by Jesus standing, he's, he's saying like, I'm your advocate. I got you. I, I got you. you. See, in a courtroom, there's only two people who stand in a, in a modern trial. That is the prosecution, that's the defense attorney. Only two people in the courtroom in the And though these men are trying to prosecute him and, and, and get rid of him, you have a defense attorney and judge, may I remind you, that Jesus not only pleads your case, he solidifies it by being the judge and calls down the final verdict and says, you're in me, you're not guilty. And it's as if Stephen is saying, do you see whatever may be happening to me, whatever may be happening to my body, whatever ravages of the consequences of a fall may be happening in this world, I see another world. And it's as real, perhaps even more real than this one. I see the Son of Man standing. I see my Savior. I see my Lord. I see my conqueror. I see my King. He's ready to meet me. And he stands by saying, you are important to me. You ever seen someone get a a degree, whether it be a bachelor degree, whether it be a master's, whether it be a doctorate, and the the men and women who have already had those titles and those honors, they stand as you cross the stage. Jesus doesn't need to stand for me, but he does because he's saying, I've got you, you're mine, and no one can change anything about this relationship. Woo! Is he your advocate? because you're trying to defend yourself, and let me just tell you, that's a sorry existence. When God stands in your spot and takes the condemnation that you so willingly deserve, and he says, no longer do I now condemn you, I now commend you. Are you kidding me? This is the beginning of something beautiful and awesome. Commendation in light of condemnation. Only when Jesus is your advocate. Only when he is your defense. Only when you are in Christ, you have him standing before the Father and he's announcing to everyone around, this is mine. He's mine. She's mine. And Jesus standing for Stephen. What a reception in the light of such rejection on earth. While the leaders were executing Stephen as a heretic, Jesus is encouraging him as a hero. And I think when he sees Jesus bearing the marks of crucifixion, there's this sense of he understands. He's not a high priest who cannot sympathize with us and our weaknesses, but he can because he's been through all the human trials that you and I have gone through yet without sin. Amen. And he sees Jesus and he goes, Jesus, you, 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 you understand the pain. You understand the persecution. And at that moment, Savior and servant are one in experience. Stephen's death was much like that of our Lord. If you think about it, right, both were executed for things they did not do, convicted on the basis of false charges. Both committed their spirit to God. Both asked God's forgiveness to those who were executing them. And all I know is that Stephen was gifted at that moment of death with something delightful. Jesus knows, Jesus sees, Jesus is calling. Boy, to hear the Savior announce your name, to essentially say, welcome home. Is Is there a greater reward? Ladies and gentlemen, don't get excited to go to heaven. Be excited to be one with your Savior and your Lord. Thinking about this week, I saw an interesting. It doesn't even compare to what I'm talking about, but it was. It brought a smile to my face. Harry Styles, everyone, people know Harry Styles, singer, right? Watermelon Sugar, kind of tying in the Harry Styles theme with my shirt today. uh Harry Styles, this past week, stopped a concert at the stadium, packed, eighty thousand people. He stops the concert, and he says. I'm looking for my first teacher, Mrs. Pearson. I hear she's at the concert today. And he goes, I need everyone in the the stadium to be quiet because I need to know where Mrs. Pearson is. I know where she's at. I know she's here, but I don't know where she's at. And he begins to walk on the stage. And all of a sudden, this lady's like, I'm here. And Harry Styles stops the concert and says, and he points to her and he drops down to his knees and says, you need to know you were the best teacher I ever had. And you changed my life. And I want to thank you for the impact you've had on my life. Who does this? Well, I guess Harry Styles does it. But better yet, your Savior does it because he's excited. That not only are you on in his family, but he's going to be excited when you get home. He's going to announce to everybody, hey, hey, everyone, hush up. Here comes Leno." Lino's coming. Give it up for Lino. Yeah. Oh, look out. Tina's coming. Shh. Quiet. Tina, get in here. Yeah. Jesus will silence the heavens for you to have the entry into the courts of the king that you don't deserve, but he's going to give you because he wants you to know how much he is anticipating your heavenly arrival. And all God's people said, woohoo, word, facts, let's go. Jesus is looking ahead for your homecoming. Let Him celebrate your arrival. Point number four death and the grace of the believer. So let me just tell you so much right now, right, has been. You know, kind of like what, what Stephen's seeing as he's gazing, he's, he's thinking heavenly, he's thinking eternal, right? There's the fullness of the Spirit, there's the glory of God, there's the, there's the approval of Jesus that he's no longer against us, he's for us. This is why you need Jesus, this is why he died a death on the cross, he died. He'd rather die for you than live without you. So by coming to Jesus, there's no longer condemnation, but there's commendation. You're now a child of the King. woo Who's in? I hope you're in. But in the meantime, as we think about Christ-like dying, we need to think about Christ-like living. And I pray every single one of us goes out like Jesus. Look at Stephen. And and by saying that, I'm not saying let's all go out and get crucified. I'm I'm not saying that. But think about the spirit of Christ as he was being put on trial, being beaten, being crucified. Think about Stephen. Look what happens. He Being driven out of the city, they began stoning him, verse 58. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. So stoning someone to death was a traditional form of execution in Israel. And there's two things you need to write down about stoning that made this such a horrifying form of execution. Number one, stoning is a communal form of capital punishment, meaning it took many people to kill someone. And the reason they had many people participate is that no one can be assigned blame or credit for dealing the death blow. And not only was it communal, but it was a slow form of punishment in that it required them to take rocks and proceed to drop them on a person's chest cavity, on a person's skull, until that person was was dead. Frederick Beekner, who's one of my, another favorite author, uh, I recommend Beekner. Frederick Beikner, he wrote books such as *The Hungering Dark*, *That Magnificent Defeat*. Uh, he's got this book called *Peculiar Treasures*. This is a biblical who's who, and the way he writes uh, is is I love it. He has a section on on Stephen. That I want to read to you as it pertains to to stoning someone to death. Beikner says. Um, Stoning somebody to death, especially somebody as young and and as healthy as Stephen, isn't easy. You don't get the job done with the first few rocks and broken bottles. And even after you've got the man down, it's a long, hot business. To prepare themselves for the workout, they stripped to the waist and got somebody to keep an eye on their things till they were through. The man they got was a fire-breathing young arch-conservative Jew named Saul, who was there because he thoroughly approved of what they were doing. And in a scene that Saul never forgot years later when he'd become a Christian himself and was under arrest, much of what Stephen had been, he spoke of it. He wasn't called Saul anymore by then, but Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the great letter-writing saint, and he still remembered how it had been that day when he stood guard over the pile of coats and ties and watched a young man's death. So Stephen was the first person to shed blood for the new faith he loved more than his life. And as Saul, who was to become Paul, watched the grim process, it never occurred to him that the grace of God, uh, grace of God the time was not far off when he himself would be another. And so, this is a, a slow, communal, calculated death. And they are just angrily killing this person with these rocks. And yet, what's amazing is that Stephen keeps his perspective on eternity. And not only that, he gets up from the stoning and he kneels and assumes the posture to pray. So can you imagine, like, his first impulse is not to escape? Because let me just tell you, when difficult times come, God oftentimes doesn't promise you escape, but he's going to promise you courage. That's what we see on display in this man. And he gets himself up and assumes a posture of praying and saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. See, this is a sign of a compassionate heart. That you want such forgiveness for your enemy that you would die in in, in light of, of what you know to be true. You're willing to take death so that your death may be a testimony for these men, for these women to be changed and know Jesus themselves. See, this is a display of two things going on here. There's a display of hope in his life and there's a display of forgiveness in his life. Hope that Paul would write about in Romans 15, verse 13, write this down. It's an overwhelming, right? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Does does your life evidence this overflowing hope? Because God offers you hope without end. And this is exactly what Stephen is is crying out for, right? This, This hope that he says, Jesus, receive my spirit. As sure as you're, as you're raised, I'm raised. And the forgiveness, the display of overflowing forgiveness, right? Do not hold this sin against them. Ladies and gentlemen, your death, your problems, your pain, your difficulties, maybe the best message preached to people in your life than, than the, the prosperity and the health and the good things that God has given to you. L- let me say this again. You must understand that the life, your message that you preach through your pain is going to be louder than the, 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 the messages you preach through your blessings, The sermons that we proclaim during our difficulties are going to be much more powerful than the messages you proclaim in your prosperity. And it didn't require Stephen to be anything other than who he was organically in Christ. When you're full of the Spirit, you don't have to go, uh-oh, oh, it's time for me to be courageous. No, no, it's already in you. Because Stephen is becoming what others, uh, to others what Jesus had been to him. He had been so closely uh, associated with Christ, it, it became part of who he was. And let me just say it this way. Those who believe the gospel and behold the gospel become like the gospel. Write those words down. Believe and Behold. In the words of, of John Piper, I love how he says it's seen and savoring. Jesus. Don't tell me you believe. Tell me you believe and behold. Don't tell me you see. Tell me you see and savor. Don't tell me you go to church Tell me you're part of a collective body of people who are chasing Christ together. Don't tell me you sing because the song's got a great melody. Tell me you sing because he's put a new song in your hearts. Don't tell me you pray because well, I was told I I was supposed to pray before every meal and then maybe before bedtime, you pray because you say, my life. Depends upon it. Stephen was becoming to others what Jesus had become to him grace, death, and the grace of the believer that overflows with hope, that overflows with forgiveness men and women of faith that have died that i've been at their bedsides that i've been in hospice i've been at their homes men and women who see and savior believe and behold do not die angry they do not die hostile they do not die mad they do not die unforgiving they do not die resentful they do not die with a bone to pick and a chip on their shoulders they die with a smile on their face because they're at peace with god and they're at peace with others and they're ready to enter eternity that's how you die because your life has been touched by god's grace Here's the good news. You don't have to wait till you die to show grace to people. Start doing it now. There's two things I know that this world is hungry for, grace and forgiveness. And the church better wake up because only the church can offer what the world is hungry for. Stop protesting, stop boycotting, stop arguing, stop debating, and start loving and trusting God with the results to do something supernatural that none of your hot efforts could ever accomplish by yourself. Please don't minimize the kind of impact you can have on others. Boy, there's a song that we sing. I'm thinking about this scene. And I, and if the song had been written back then, I wonder if Stephen would have been singing it. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am the King of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. what Stephen understood to the degree you understand Jesus's love and victory for you is the degree in which you will be able to endure suffering well glorify God in your testing glorify God in your trials we're introduced to this guy named Saul this is the first thing we ever know about Saul and he's he's operating a shadow conspiracy against the church he's a young young hot tempered angry man so much hostility and hatred towards christ and the church his his only passion is to eradicate the church from the face of the earth and what we need to understand is that when when stephen prays look at this verse 60 look at it he falls to his knees. He cries out with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's praying for those who persecute him. He's loving his enemies. And then he dies. What you need to understand is that God honored his prayer at that moment. Because he's preparing to change a life. And his name is Saul. Even though Saul, chapter 8, keeps on persecuting, keeps on, keeps on fighting, keeps on arresting, keeps on imprisoning, something happens. Last point, death and the scattering of the church. we can pick up on this next week, but just as far as introduction, right? Saul is converted because Stephen was, not because he was delivered, but Saul was converted because of the way he watched Stephen suffer and die. The greatest persecutor of the church would become the greatest promoter of the church because he saw a man not only live by faith, but he died by faith. This is why Paul in Acts 20, verse 24, could say these these words, right? He says this, uh, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Meaning, I saw a man who did not count his life as anything worth holding on to, but willingly to give it up so that people may understand the preciousness, not of my life, but the preciousness of the gospel. Are you kidding me? This transforms Paul, right? And all of a sudden now we understand what the great Tertullian who wrote 1,700 years ago said, the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Men and women, men and women willing to die for their faith begin to, to take this message of the gospel in ways and not only in their life but in their death that transforms people. And there's two things that happen in Acts. And we'll finish with this. The death of Stephen started a persecution. Things get worse for the church. We see that in chapter eight. But it also startled a persecutor, Saul. But but you need to understand this is all part of God's sovereignty. See, started a persecution, right? Stephen's stoning became the defining moment of the early church that set it into its second stage that the Lord had already predicted back in chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? It's going to go out. And God uses persecution sometimes to do that. While suffering may be inevitable, believer, God's mission is unstoppable. Nothing Nothing can stop God's plan. But here's the thing you need to understand. It startled this persecutor, Paul. Paul himself would say that the memory of Stephen tormented him and refused to let him go. Look at Acts 22, verse 20. And when the blood of... This is Paul talking. When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Chapter 26, he continues and testifies, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and raging fury against. I am persecuted them, even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, are you're persecuting me, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. That phrase right there means the witness of Stephen's death continued to haunt Paul. Day and night. Never minimize the impact you may have on someone's life. Not just in your prosperity, but in your pain. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Stephen's death kept goading this persecutor, Saul, nudging him towards the throne of grace. And eventually, Paul would surrender. And this is why he testifies in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to be uh, in his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. How many of you have ever called yourselves those titles before? But I received mercy. Woo-hoo! Praise God for mercy, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me and as foremost, Jesus Christ might be displayed his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be God, honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that is a heart change by the grace of God. Amen, church? I'm going to tell you this morning that Stephen finished well. Remember, Stephen's name means crown. Crown was given to someone who overcomes. Revelation chapter 2 says, The crown of life is given to those who are faithful even unto death. Here's what I'm praying for us. That we would enjoy Christ-like living. But only as much as it prepares us for Christ-like dying. To understand what Paul says in Philippians 1, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Are you living for him who lived and died for you? And as you're living this life in Christ, are you thinking about others you can take with you into eternity? Because that's ultimately what it's about. This is why we're here. You think you're here to have a cushy job and a beautiful family? You're here and saved because God has appointed you to not only be his child, to be, but to be his clarion, to, to be his messenger. Eternity is awaiting all of us. Do you know him who is the way and the life and the truth? I'm ready. I'm ready. In his timetable, I'm ready. Are you? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus quickly. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, to have the faith of Stephen To to have the intimacy with Jesus and the spirit that Stephen had. Oh. That'd be so good. To to weather not just the good times, but the the trouble sometimes in our lives. With the perspective that Stephen had. Oh God, God grant that to us. Lord, may we, as Colossians 3 says, set our affections not on the things of the earth, but at the things that are, that are heavenly and eternal. Forget it, forgive us for loving the things of this world, even our own lives, and neglecting the very thing that we've been called to be satisfied in, and that's just to love you and you alone. Remind us of the words of Paul. The momentary light affliction is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. Oh, to be at home with you, Father. We can't wait. In the meantime, find us faithful. Find us forgiving. Find us to be conduits of grace to every single person we meet. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Have a great day. Happy Father's Day. Love you guys. See you soon.